Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Thank you all so much. I have to say I'm honored to be here to be able to share my testimony with you guys. It's um, my third time to do it in front of people, so um, just bear with me. I'll start my testimony off by saying that my testimony is of how Jesus healed me and set me free through forgiveness. Um, My childhood was not an ordinary one. Um, I didn't experience the love and the joy and the innocence that most children experience. Um, At the age of four, I lived in Cisco, Texas. Before then, my life was pretty normal, so to speak, you know, for for a child. But at the age of four, my parents and I moved to Cisco, Texas, where we lived with some friends of theirs who had a a 17-year-old son. And at the age of four, he started sexually assaulting me. Um, My dad eventually found out and beat him up, and then we moved from there. At age five in 1989, we moved to a town called San Angelo, Texas. I'm sure some of you are familiar with San Angelo. Um, In Easter of 1989, my father and my mother took me to a party at my dad's friend's house, and then we went home. My dad took me and my mom home, and then he went back to the party. And later on, I remember him busting through the door saying, William killed Randy. William killed Randy. And my mom's like, what? And so they scoop me up, and we run down to the park, and there's Randy. He was our next-door neighbor, and um, he was taking his last breath. Um, What had happened was there was something going on with Randy beating up a woman, and then my dad beat him up. The other man strangled him to death. And so after that, um, they had a trial, and my dad and William were sentenced to 40 years in prison with aggravated first-degree murder. So after that, I remember, you know, watching the trial on TV, and I remember when the police came to my apartment where my mother and I lived, and um, they told my mom, they said, you need to keep her inside and you need to keep the blinds closed. And so I remember looking out the blinds as they were putting the handcuffs on my dad. And at that point, there was no stopping me. I ran out the door, and I started screaming, please don't take my dad. Please don't take my dad. But it was out of my control. So they, my dad um, went went to jail, served a little time in San Angelo in the county jail, and then he was transferred to prison. And in 1991, my mother and I moved to Gorman, Texas, which is a very small town, to live with my grandparents, which are my dad's parents. Um, at, that, at that age um, and time in my life is whenever I really was introduced to the Lord by my grandmother. I remember my grandmother every night sitting at the foot of my bed and reading her Bible to me and making sure that I said my prayers. Um, a little time passed, and by age seven, my mother and I moved to Love Acres, which is the government housing there in Gorman where she met a guy named James. Um, 
And almost immediately, James started abusing me as well. Uh, first, it started off very minor, and then it got to a point where he raped me and physically assaulted me almost daily for eight years. And at age 11 and age 13, which was in the same period of time where I was being abused by James, another man sexually assaulted me on two different occasions. And at that point, my mom knew everything that was going on with her boyfriend, James. And then a pastor friend of ours wife is the one who got me to confess about this other guy not knowing what was going on with James because I was made to kept, keep that a secret. And um, so she, my mom took me down to the police station and I had to file a report on the other man. And during that time I was thinking, you know, why isn't she doing anything to protect me from James? Why is she taking me to the police department to report this other knowing that her boyfriend is doing these things to me. Um, I remember during that time, I was just crying out to God, and I was like, God, where are you? I know you exist. Why am I in this situation? Why am I having to suffer and go through these physical problems and sexual abuse and all this stuff? Where are you? And God... You know, he revealed himself in several different ways. He placed people in my life throughout that period of time who helped me um, realize that God had never forsaken me. He was always there. Through it all, he was always there. Um, in October of 1998, I was 14 years old. And at that point in my life, I remember... Um, telling my mom that I was sick of everything that was going on. I was standing on the back, back porch of our apartment and I was looking at her face to face and that is a day I will never forget. I looked at her and I said, Mom, you can take your pick right now. It's me or him. Take your pick right now. I am sick of this. And she started making up excuses, excuse after excuse as to why we needed him there. So I remember looking at her and I said, you know what, I hate you and I'm leaving, and I left, and I took off walking, and a friend of mine picked me up, and we went to another friend's house and drank, and got really, really drunk, and then he took me to another friend's house and dropped me off on her porch, where I started confessing things to her that I had kept inside for all that time. It was just flowing out, and so she ended up calling the police, and the police came and picked me up, and they took me to the hospital where I had alcohol poisoning. And I remember telling the police everything that had been going on. And that night, they made me go back home with my mom and her boyfriend. And the next morning, the police showed up at my apartment. It was the chief of police in Gorman. And um, he said, Tina, we need you to come down to the station. He said, last, last night while you were at the hospital, you were telling us things about your friend, and we need, we need to figure out what's going on. So I went down to the station, and my mom and I, and they, they made my mom stay outside, and I went into this little room with the chief of police, and, which is when he told me the truth. He said, you know, you were saying things last night about James. 
And I was just looking at him, and I was like, no, none of it's true. Um, because I had been told for years, you know, that if I ever said anything that he would kill me, that I would never see my family again. It was always something to keep me brainwashed, to keep me in that, that never-ending cycle that he had me in. And so finally, Abel looked at me, and he said, Tina, I love you, and I want to protect you. I want, if something is going on, I will get you out of that situation, and I will make sure that you are protected. And at that point, I remember hitting my knees. I was sitting in a little fold-out chair, and I just started bawling, and I said, it's true. It's all true. And so at that point, they asked me if they wanted my mom to come in there, if I wanted her to come in there and them tell her, or I tell her, or them go out there and tell her. And I said, no, bring her in here and I'll tell her. Because she already knew. She already knew what was going on. It was no surprise. <laughs> and so they, they brought her in there, and I, I said, you know, I can't tell her. I can't tell her. And so they ended up telling her everything in front of me. And she looked at me, and she said, you're a liar. And she slapped me out of my chair. They literally had to drag my mother out of the police station under her arms because she was just so outraged by the truth coming out. Um, so I was in the police station for 10 hours that day. And they ended up calling around to different family members in our area, asking if anybody could take me, and nobody could. Um, the only people who offered to take me were in Gorman, which is where the abuse had been happening for all that time, so I wasn't able to stay with them. So at that point, I was placed in foster care, and I moved to Eastland, Texas, where I lived with my first foster parents, Bob and Salisa Hayes, and Bob was a, a pastor in Eastland, and um, they, were, they were really, really wonderful. Um, when I was placed in foster care, they had to do a DNA rape kit, which is mandatory for anybody who's the victim of sexual assault. Um, a doctor by the name of Dr. Hazelip did my DNA rape kit, and when she got finished, she told me there was a 25% chance that I would ever have children because of all the damage that had been done. So through all this time, James stalked me. He sent me letters through my mother. Um, he would follow me and my foster family around, call me, and it, it was just, it was like living in hell on earth. Um, so he was eventually placed in jail. He was incarcerated for tampering with a witness. And this was in December of 1998, and he was released on bond when he fled. Um, but I remember talking to my caseworker, and I was like, you know, that isn't fair that he gets to get out and go be with his family, and here I am in foster care. You know, I was the victim, but I felt like I was the one who was in the wrong. I felt like I was the one who was being punished for what he did. And I just didn't think it was fair. And so through, through all that time, I remember feeling just numb just completely numb. Just When I would look in the mirror, it was almost like I wasn't even a real person. I just felt worthless. And in that time, God gave me a verse. The verse is in Romans 12, 17 through 21. And I stood on this verse for six years. And the verse says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
If it, is a, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So anytime I would start thinking about James and everything and, and these um, other guy that had abused me, and there were two more after I got put in foster care who sexually assaulted me, every time I would think about that and I would get angry, this verse would come to mind, and I would read that verse over and over and over for six years. And I was like, okay, God, I give it to you. It is not my place to get revenge on, on anybody who has done these things. It, it's your place. You're going to handle this. And I remember praying and asking God um, to handle this in a way where I wouldn't have to go to court and testify, but that James, James in specific, because he was the one who did it for the longest and um, where he wouldn't be able to hurt anybody else. So... Whenever James went on the run, his parents lived in Gorman. I was able to move back to Gorman to live with my aunt and uncle, and his parents lived there, and they started harassing me. They started calling me at school. I remember one time I was in the cafeteria, and I was having lunch with my friends, and I get a phone call, and the cafeteria lady says, Tina, you have a phone call, and I'm like, so I go over there, and um, I answer the phone, and it was James's mother, and she was telling me that I needed to change my story that it was all my fault, that I deserved what her son had done. So at that point, I just hung up the phone, and I took our friend, and as fast as I could to the office, and I was like, I've got to call my aunt and uncle. And I called them, and I, I was hysterical telling them about her calling me. So at that point, CPS was contacted, and they put me in a witness protection program and moved me to Sweetwater, Texas, where I was not able to even tell my best friend where I was going. Nobody was supposed to know. So while I was living in Sweetwater, I kept telling my foster mom, I was like, I've seen James. She's like, no, nobody knows where you're at. You're safe here. You know, you're just having flashbacks or whatever. And I'm like, no, I've seen him. And at that point, they moved me from Sweetwater High School to Highland High School, which is out by Roscoe, Texas, in the middle of nowhere. It's a little bitty school in the middle of a cotton field. I had eight people in my senior class, so that tells you how small it is. Um, while I was living out there, James was pictured on America's Most Wanted in 2000. In 2001, he was one of America's top ten most wanted for the crimes that he had committed against me. So, um, anyway, um, they had got a lead that he was living in Colorado City and working in Roscoe. And Roscoe is three miles from where I lived. I mean, three miles from where I went to school and 10 miles from where I lived. So um, they got a lead that he was there. They went to Colorado City, and when they got there, he had already gone. He had already fled. Somehow he got the news that they were coming. So the second semester of my senior year, um, no, before all that, uh, I had a complete and total nervous breakdown after that. Um, whenever I was 16 years old, I remember 
I couldn't even function. I felt just like my soul had died, basically. Like I just could not function. So um, they sent me to a hospital, and at that point, they told me that I was bipolar, that I was all these things when it boiled down to situational depression due to all of the trauma that had happened in my life. Um, the second semester of my senior year, after James was on the run for so long, um, they let me move back to Gorman, Texas, which is where I had grown up, and graduate with my my class that I'd grown up with. So I graduated high school in 2002 from Gorman. In August of 2002, I went to Weatherford College. Um, in November of 2002, my aunt calls me and she says, Tina, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, well, they found James. I was like, really, where'd they find him at? And he had turned himself in under a fake identity in Oregon to a hospital. He had throat cancer and they had given him three to six months to live. And he died December 26th of 2002, which was the beginning of my healing. Um, after that, I moved back to Gorman to live with my aunt and uncle because I'd gotten into some drugs and couldn't really function anymore. So I dropped out of school and I went back to Gorman and lived with my aunt and uncle for a while. And in that time, there was another man who raped me when I was 19 years old. So there was a total of six men in all. After that, I moved, I moved to Jacksboro, which is where I met my oldest son's dad. And um, when I met him, I was, I was not in the right state of mind mentally still. I was still pretty messed up from everything that had gone on in my life. And we were doing drugs and doing all these things. And I remember praying, and I was, I was pleading with God. And I was like, God, if you will give me a baby... I will be the best mom that I can be, and I will quit doing drugs. I will quit all this. And it was like God told me, I cannot bless you if you're living like this. And so I quit doing drugs cold turkey, and two months later I found out I was pregnant with my oldest son. So I wholeheartedly believe that our God is a God of miracles. To this day, God can heal you, and God can perform miracles in your life. Um, after Dadrian was born, his dad and I split up, and I moved to DeLeon, Texas, where I met my husband, Lowell. Um, I'm trying to make this short. So, um, I met him. I worked at a little store there, and he basically harassed me and stalked me for eight months. <laughs> he would come in the store every day and, you know, drink like 10 Dr. Peppers a day, and I'm like, man, he's really thirsty. <laughs> So, um, anyway, after, after I met Lowell and, and he finally had the nerve to ask me out on a date, I agreed and we went to a town which was about an hour or so away from where we lived and, and I've said this before, I'm a talker, I like to talk and I had nothing to say the whole way there. I was so nervous, I was like over there twiddling my thumbs, but, but you know, I truly believe that God brought Lowell into my life because he had given me the opportunity to be a mother and show somebody else unconditionally love and unconditional love. And when he brought Lowell into my life, it was my turn to get and receive unconditional love that I had never received. I mean, of course, I had it from my child, but it's different um, from your husband. So we were 
we dated for about a year and we married in 2008. Um, in 2009, our little girl was born. Um, also in 2009, my dad, in December of 2009, December 11th, my dad was released from prison and was able to come home and, and is doing fantastic now. He's been out seven years this December. So um, through all that time, you know, I can't, I can't say that things were easy. I can't say that things weren't trying, that I didn't cry, that I didn't scream, that I didn't cry out to God and say, God, I need you. Because I did a lot of times. Through that time, um, Lola and I have had some problems over the past couple of years, and we ended up splitting up, and we got divorced. And in that time, I had another baby named Diesel. But, you know, God can restore and God can heal. And in June of this year, June 13th, at this church by Pastor Eric, we were remarried. So I just want to say, you know, the key to my healing has been forgiveness. It has been forgiveness. Forgiving those who have wronged me in such a way that I didn't want to forgive them. That I didn't feel like I could forgive them. I remember looking in the mirror, you know, when I was in foster care, and I would, I would have to tell myself that I forgive these people who have wronged me. I would look at myself and I'd say, Tina, you forgive them. I forgive them. Even if I didn't feel like forgiving them or like I could forgive them, I said that enough and I prayed for it enough that God gave me true, wholehearted forgiveness for those people. For my mother, for James, for myself, for the things that I've done in my adult life that I felt were unforgivable. Um, there was a time in there where when Lola and I were split up um, that I was at one of the lowest points in my adult life and I remember going and talking to Lowell and um, telling him I just felt like I, I couldn't forgive myself. Like, how could God forgive me for the things that I had drug him and my children through? And he said, Tina, you love God and God loves you, and there is no condemnation in those who love Christ. And it was like, I'd heard that so many times, but it was a revelation for me that day. So I just want to say, if your burden is heavy and it seems like too much to bear, give it to God. Give it to God. Forgive those who have wronged you because we serve a mighty God and he can heal you and he will heal you. That's all. Wow. Amazing story, huh? I just think it's incredible that she has the courage to stand up and share this story with people through all that she has uh, incurred in her life and the things that got robbed from her, but yet now she stands here whole and healed and um, is now, this, this, this mess has turned into a message now. Amen. And God has, has, is turning everything around for good. And I asked Tina um, to, to come and share this with you tonight. It's, it's such, a, such an amazing story. And I know that, that more are going to hear it because now she's going to be able to be the one who shares this and other people who are in those very dark places in their lives are going to be healed and made whole. Um, so I asked her tonight, I said, would you, would you be willing to, to pray with anyone here who would like to, to be ministered to tonight? 
And she said, yes, I, I would love the opportunity to do that. So I want to just, if we could get just uh, Faith, if you would come up here and get on the keyboard for a moment. I, I just want to invite you tonight, if you have prayer for, for anything, but, you know, something that you've just maybe been experiencing in your, your own heart, something that maybe happened to you or you've had difficulty really letting this thing go. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's forgiving someone, really, truly forgiving them. I love that even as, even as a teenage girl, that she by faith was looking at herself, telling herself, you forgive them, despite the feeling of it. No matter how she felt about it, she didn't have feelings of forgiveness. This girl was walking by faith, forcing this issue. And, and deciding, I'm going to change how I feel. And, and God began to work through her in that way. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.